City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, acres and acres again, and uh, it's City Limits. It's the fourth Wednesday of the month, which means we haven't got a specific subject, but we're hoping to talk about... An item we mentioned last week, Meg, and Meg's the person who just pressed the buttons. Morning. Kim is over there. I'm Kevin Healy. Yeah. And um, last week we mentioned this grant that was in the federal budget of $443 million, I think it is, to, the, um, to this business group in Queensland as the government's contribution to saving the barrier reef. You <laughs> give the polluters the money to save the pollution. Mm, um, and we are planning, if possible to talk to the Mackay Conservation Group, which has been one of the groups leading the fight against it. And they've also been leading the Stop Adani campaign up there, and um, I'm sure they'll have things to say about what's happened this week too in relation to energy policy in the country. So mm. um, so we had to get on to them about 9.30-ish, if possible. Um, they, I did speak to them yesterday. The situation is they didn't get back to me last night when they said they would, but, I mean, they couldn't. They're busy, so The woman, woman who was going to ring was coming in to go to a meeting, so she probably got tied up and left and all that sort of thing. So, all right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see, see what happens. We so we're trying to get on to them now, um, and we'll hopefully have them at 9.30. If not, it's going to be a very talking program. We'll have, I have brought in some CDs to fill in the time, <laughs> by the only, way, just in case. If only something, you know, pretty big had happened, you know, in in politics or something like that. Yeah. If only there'd been some sort of big, I don't know, spill or something that yeah. we could talk about. The only good news out of that is that we haven't got Dutton yet. <laughs> and um, he, he, he resigned, which just means going to the back bench. Yeah. You know? and I think Morrison's temporarily taking over. Well, he's the one who set the pattern before him, so it's all looking good. Um, <laughs> on that, by the way, I just, it's worth mentioning. Yesterday I was watching, so I was, was I watching, anyway, I turned on the telly and there was a promo for the Channel 7 News. And I thought, oh, well, the promo's bound to lead with the events in Canberra. Mm. But no, it wasn't It wasn't the, a Prime Minister possibly leaving the team, so to speak. It was uh, that a footballer had been sacked by an <laughs> AFL team. <laughs> and that was the lead item. <laughs> well, they know their priorities. Well, in some ways, they've probably got it right. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> in terms of what the other one really means. They know what people care about. You either get a, cons- a real conservative there like, Dutton, or you get a Turnbull who can siege them on everything, so nothing changes, really, does it? Yeah, and um, and you know they say like after a t- I'm going to pour you a cup of tea. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. After a spill like that, anyway, where it's almost half and half, it's un- it's very unlikely to be the only one. You know, there'll be another one down the track. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, by tomorrow, some are saying, but certainly what? within the next few days. Yeah. From who though? Well, who knows? And right. some people are speculating if it if it goes again, there might be more than just um, Dutton putting up their hand. Yeah. Not that it matters by that lot. What's it matter? And the, of course, the alternative is shortened, so it's pretty encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. What is this tea? It's delicious. This one is straight jasmine. Oh, just love Chinese it. Chinese jasmine. This one. Yeah. Makes me. It's very exotic. Mm. Ah, well, there you are. Yeah. Yes. 
Chinese jasmine. Yeah. Um, speaking of exotic and people who, um, you know, are great diplomats and uh, mm-hmm. etc. Donald Trump. This woman um, Newman Manigault Newman, who wrote this book about him, mm. he really got he really um, showed his concern for her this week. He called her a low life dog. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Um, She's a low life dog, isn't it? Wow. What is that in person or oh, on, on Twitter? On Twitter, tweeted. I think he tweeted it or something. Yeah. Well, apparently, right. I mean, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what the tweets mean and whether they're policy and, and I think the last word there was was that they're not policy so if that's reassuring to her at all Jeez, so it's, not not, a, it's not the official word so of the policy, American policy president isn't, official American policy isn't that she's a low-life yeah. dog yeah. right yeah. who was it? who's the woman? well she's the woman she was an ex-staffer she is black herself Ooh. she was the only black staffer or the only senior black staffer and apparently she quit. yeah quit or got thrown out whatever okay. and she's written a tell-all book about it mm. some people are saying the book you know they're not absolutely certain the book is absolutely accurate but it's one okay. in which she says she hasn't heard but knows there's a tape during his, apparently she met him when he did that apprentice show, that and she was one of the people on that apparently. Oh, um, and then yep. she got a job in the White House. But yep. um, she does claim there's a tape from the apprentice days where he uses what they call the N word, um, oh. and that he's really racist and oh, terrible, yes. etc. So he's this. reacting to that by calling her a low life dog. So I mean, it's going well. That's really that's going to clear it up, yeah, isn't that it? Any it out. confusion there? I think we know yep, yep. what he's like. He he does take he he, he does take uh, attacks upon himself, um, criticism really well, doesn't he? Yes, he holds yeah. up really well under criticism. Yeah, he does. Like with he, a lot of yeah, quality quality, you know, rebuttals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he um, last week he withdrew the uh, security whatever rule rights of the bloke, the ex CIA yeah. bloke who, who was opposing him, and yet that yep. bloke himself is an arch conservative. I think he led the <laughs> yeah. t- the t- yeah. the uh, torture campaigns, didn't he? Oh um, my gosh! Oh, yes. so he was in the CIA when they did that, <laughs> yeah, when they were waterboarding people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really makes everybody else, by comparison, look really upstanding. Basically, yeah, doesn't it? It's all relative, isn't it? Speaking of relative, here's the, the Herald Sun. I'll get on Herald Sun. Mm, mm-hmm. um, they had a page eight. There's an exhibition at the gallery, the National Gallery of Victoria, um, marking its 50th anniversary, and they've got a, a one of their fam- famous uh, Teopolo's old master painting, the Banquet of Cleopatra, which they've got a photo of. But oh. they've got two young women, Elisa and Bridie of Vivians, that's a, some sort of model agency, and it says what they're wearing and where you can get it. Now, why, if you're promoting the, if you're talking about a gallery exhibition, do you need to have two young women and then say what they're wearing and where they're coming from? Why not just show the painting? Oh, well, you know, it's a very old painting. People don't like old things, do they? They're just trying to jazz it up a bit. Right. Good on them. Um, have you been down to the NGV lately? I haven't been there. Um, I haven't been there since the since the exhibition last year. Actually, yeah. What, what was that? Oh, that was Van Gogh, wasn't it? Last uh, year, yeah, yes. it was wonderful. I mean, the NGV um, is yeah. an amazing place. It is. Yeah, I, you can't so, fault it really. You do, no, you, like, can't, you can't. But I, I will head down <laughs> yeah. and watch some of this exhibition. Yeah, but yeah. It's, uh, but I haven't. It's the winter one this year, by the way. Is it? I don't know. It's not much publicity. It was Van Gogh last year, and it was really wonderful. But, yeah. yeah. And also, of course, leading up to the state election, mm. um, after the attacks and uh, day after day on Labor, um, 
this they had a big front page headline a couple of days ago that Guy Matthew Guy, and in case you're wondering, he's the opposition leader, potential premier. Right. Um, he's promising all kids will have to do sport in school, and they have different sports every term or whatever. Isn't and that already a rule? Anyway, competition. Well, it is, but mm. they, this is more organised, and it's real competition and oh, okay. all that sort of thing. And mm. the Herald Sun is raving about how wonderful that is. Really wonderful. <laughs> okay. and the the Labor system isn't nearly as good. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, Labor has promised to put. Um, to put solar panels or to provide money for people to solar panel and you some Good. people have to pay it back over four years or something, but okay. it's a campaign to get more solar panels on, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Um, now, this has become, under Rita Panahai's article, um, who's one of their very conservative journos, this will become the, the, the equivalent of Rudd's Pink Batch disaster. Um, oh, it's going to okay. kill people and do terrible things. Yes, Really awful. Mm. Um, same day they had a, a an editorial. It's a sporting chance for kids, and how wonderful this thing of Matthew Guy's is. Mm. Um, and then Guy himself has attacked. They had another article of Guy attacking the solar scheme, exaggerating the benefits, and amid as a cash splash. Not that the one about the, the kids doing sports is splash cash, but um, <laughs> it's a splash cash, and it's pretty terrible. And uh, the uh, and in fact the, the they've also argued and the Fin Review is also arguing that this will raise electricity costs because of the oh. because more people with solar panels mean those who haven't got them will have to pay more the old story and that they they you know putting them in and what they create and the the infrastructure they'll need to to handle it. Uh, will mean extra costs for everybody and so mm. it's really a bad idea to put solar panels on people's roofs. Anyone who argues that electricity prices are going to go up is pretty much never going to be proved wrong because electricity prices we'll are go constantly up. going up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so good on them. They, yeah. <laughs> they're forecasting the future accurately. Well, on that very point, um, there was a um, the woman who... Um, who James McNamara, who is the uh, here she is, um, the energy because last week Andrew has also said that privatisation had been a key factor in prices going up. Surprise, surprise. Because okay. uh, you weren't around at the time, I'm sure. But when Kenneth um, privatised it, uh, we were promised lower prices because it would be more efficient. The public sector much more efficient than the bloated hand of the private. Uh, sorry, the public yep. bloated hand of the public sector was going to be taken on by the lean, mean pub, private sector, which would lower prices, etc. Of course. Now, we argued that once you put a profit motive into it, it mightn't quite work out that way. Mm-hmm. Plus, also, when their incentive is to sell more and more, there wasn't much incentive for people to do more energy efficient. Uh, in fact, they exactly. need to sell you more. But yep. those two factors aside... The energy industry has hit back at Premier Daniel Andrews' claim privatisation has led to higher prices, saying the sudden closure of power stations and absence of government policy is more to blame. So, in fact, it's the public sector again that's causing them bloody well to go up. Yes, yes. it is always the public sector's it's fault, I think. public sector. Yeah. And the Australia Energy Council's chief executive, Sarah McNamara, said the closure of Hazelwood and national policy paralysis had created recipe for high energy prices. There is no secret as to why power prices have increased. It is because of higher wholesale electricity prices because of the closure of dispatchable power stations like Hazelwood and Northern in South 
Australia. This is the bit I liked. Add to that the absence of a national policy framework and you have the recipe for high energy prices and a lack of investment in like-for-like replacement power stations. Now, Mm. like-for-like, if you're closing coal power, does that mean you replace them with... Mm, Coal power? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, or, you know, is it a kind of just an ad for the neg? I'm not sure. I didn't mention it at the start. I just thought, by the way, we are mm. going to be talking fairly shortly to Howard Morosi from People for Public Housing as well. He's going to just give us an update on yeah. events that are happening around the public housing Which, issue. And yeah, yeah, that saves yeah. me um, repeating what I've heard about. <laughs> so it's good that it'll be on. Um, and also, you mentioned the state election because Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia have quite a few things coming up about that in the Victorian state election, which is really important, obviously, because... It's a really crucial issue at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much so. But the privatisation process, speaking yeah. of privatisation, mm. is what effectively is happening. Mm. Uh, just to, um, just again, and this involves the Herald Sun and the Financial Review, last Thursday a 35-year-old father of two, you probably saw it on the news, was killed on a construction site in Cranbourne or somewhere, um, fell down a ditch in Wallen, in fact, wrong direction in Wallen. Um, and... Um, and you know, young young thirty five year old bloke killed, and um, this is of course an industry where the unions are constantly being fined millions of dollars for taking action, primarily around yeah. safety type issues. Yeah. Now the next morning, the Financial Review Big Three P three lead criminal cartel charge laid against CFMEU. And you get a photo of a bloke looking like a real crook, you know, a CFMEU official. It's just, you know. Oh, yes. And, they, and, and there was the second story in about two days where they had the union being charged with all sorts of things for being a terrible, terrible body. Um, now, the same day, they didn't mention not one word that a worker had died the day before on a construction site, yet another. But Friday, the Herald Sun, page three, big story, Jen Jen is over, and this is um, Jennifer Hawkins, um, who was made Miss Universe by Donald Trump. Um, and uh, Jen, she's in her thirties now, so it's obviously she's over, she's past it. She's, she's past pretty it, much, yeah. Oh, she must it. be retiring, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess yeah. it has to. Mm. Well, anyway, she split with Meyer, and they've appointed some young twenty-year-old something to replace her. Right. But a big photo of Jen, and I think there was another one the next day. I can't recall now, but anyway. Uh, that's the big story of the day. Now, yep. right down the bottom, worker dies in hole. So they gave it a mention, six paragraphs at the bottom, but a far more important story, a, a clothes horse model um, resigning from Myers. Or not terrible. resigning, but probably got the flick, who knows, but whatever. She's yeah. no longer the so-called Meyer ambassador. That poor guy and his family and the people that yeah. work with him. yeah. <laughs> But she's um, she's wonderful young woman because all those millions she's made over the years as the ambassador, she's invested in real estate. Apparently, she owns oh. she owns a massive she has a massive portfolio of real estate. Isn't good. that good? Yes, but a model Australian. A model Australian yeah. in all more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. There you go. <laughs> you want to top up with that too? You like that? Okay, there Thank you, you are. Lovely. Just top it up. When I see you coming to the top, I'll write. Let's not Um, ruin the panelling equipment in the 3CR studios. No, no. Now, here's a story that I um, must say uh, really upset me. 
this was in uh, Saturday's Herald Sun, which I don't buy, but I happen when I go to Big Market, I wander up to the TAB from there, which uh-huh. is very close, and yep. get the scratchings for the day. Yep. And they have a pile of Herald Suns they give away, so Uh-oh. I get a free Herald They're Sun. They're just fueling so like more than one addiction there, that's aren't right, they? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. How dare that's they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, the only thing I don't do is pop in and have a drink on the way. But anyway, um, <laughs> the and but this is a dreadful story. Students at every public high school in Victoria will learn about the Vietnam War directly from a veteran the state government has promised. Labor will, if re-elected, have all government secondary schools host a guest speaker from the Vietnam Veterans Association of Australia. Veteran speeches will be targeted at students in years 9 and 10 with the government to cover costs. The testimony of veterans will also be recorded and used as part of classroom resources for other students. Andrews, that's our Premier, said, by giving students the opportunity to meet our Vietnam veterans, the next generation can experience their remarkable dignity and courage firsthand. Now, here's a war that um, divided the country. If they're going to do that, they should at least have someone who was opposed to the war, a draft resistor or someone, come in and put a bit of balance into the equation. Mm -hmm. And that also follows what's happened in recent years where they're turning history on its head and making it appear as if... You know, we almost won the war, but how you know how brave they were and how good it was the we Vietnam were there. War. Yeah, yeah, when, it's part of that Anzac push, which started yeah, with Howard, isn't yeah, it? That yeah. to that you know, yeah, to reglorify the yeah. idea of nationalism in 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 amongst that sort of like idea right. of war being heroic. A war we had no right to be in. Mm. Um, now I don't doubt that the blokes who went and they were they were cannon fodder yeah and, and, and conscripts greatly. conscripts and, yeah. yeah i mean they were probably brave and they did etc and i'm sure they've suffered ever since from it all i don't think but, anything could make someone more of a pacifist than hearing from someone who went yeah, to the vietnam war to be honest maybe yeah. maybe it'll work yeah. but but the um but you know they're turning them into heroes as if they really did something great for australia when australia in fact should not have been there it was shameful mm. that we were even involved in that war mm. um and i just think it needs much more balance than they're prepared to uh, to give it that's all, but uh, yeah, yeah, not very good. Um, speaking of balance and great people, um, James Packer's Crown Resorts, um, Barangaroo, which is um, that development in city we've mentioned a few times, and we've mentioned many times that oh yes, that um, he put in a an unsolicited tender for a big you know, a big casino Sorry. complex with yep. all the goings on, all the hotel rooms and the and the shops and the whole, yeah, you know, the whole box and dice. Was this on the public? What used to be public yes. housing? Well, or no, it still well, is public housing. Barangaroo could was, I think, probably originally public housing, yeah. but I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not absolutely sure. They know they're selling off public housing up the road at Miller's Point, which was beautiful uh-huh, public housing, which of. was yep. which was saved by the Green Bands back in the seventies, but. They, what they did do, though, they, the the original plan for Barongaroo was was pretty um, pretty low. It was supposed to be public transport oriented, and they had this public sp- they had a section for public open space. Now that's the area he decided to put his casino on. So he's taken over the open space. They've had to create more open space somewhere he'll, else. He'll probably have like rooms, maybe with balconies and things that you know. With flower pots, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. grow a bit of mm. bit of basil or something. <laughs> um, 
Well, he's launched legal action against the New South Wales government now <laughs> because someone else is putting up a building next to his which is <laughs> going to block out some of the views from his rooms. Oh, no. So he, he wants to sue him. Now, this is a bloke who came up with his own proposal, took over this land, yeah. and now, now they're saying... Um, and they're also reporting record profits, by the way, at the moment, which is mm. interesting. The, the the Crown says about the fact that they, um, the the Barangaroo Delivery Authority and the government had failed to meet its obligation to Crown to consult on other developments at the precinct. Now, this is a mob who consulted with nobody, just moved in and said, we're going to do it, and the government gave it to them. But anyway, they failed to consult. These obligations include consulting with Crown about any application for the proposed development of Central Barangaroo that differs from that provided for in the relevant concept plan for Central Barangaroo in existence at the time the Crown Development Agreement was entered into, which was entered into under Crown's conditions. Um, So it's an amazing piece of hypocrisy. Um, um, You should have seen that coming if they were going to do that deal with him. Why wouldn't they do the deal with someone else? And one of the one of the things, well, the area that they're complaining about is going to include another metro railway station, but that seems to well, that doesn't bring cars in, does it? No. Um, and uh, anyway, um, they're they're threatening to sue because we're going to go, Crown Resorts Executive Chairman John Alexander said the central Barangaroo development was intended to be low density, low rise, but Crown was now concerned that the development would be taller than first anticipated. <laughs> this would threaten the sight lines from Crown's resort and casino to the Sydney Harbour Bridge and Opera House. It gets worse, doesn't it? Oh my God! Poor, poor James and thing. The BDA wants to increase the gross floor oil, et cetera, et cetera. But that's that's the story generally. It's uh, <sighs> yeah, we ha- oh, he actually says it's a tripartite agreement between ourselves, Lend Lease, and the BDA because Lend Lease is the overall developer of the site, uh-huh. and Paul Keating was heavily involved in the in the origins of all this. Yeah, um, right. And we have to agree collectively on any development on that site. So you have now have to agree collectively. <laughs> it affects Crown, but Crown didn't have to agree collectively, collectively. in going there in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, just yeah. thought I'd mention that. Change it up, you know, try different things. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And just before we go to Howard, we'll go to Howard after this. Um, I mentioned last week, I think, that the that somehow uh, since Channel 9 took over, the Finn Review had run a page three story mm-hmm. uh, about the lineup for Nine's tennis commentary and how this was such an important story. Yeah. Um, well, Did this they week, have a financial aspect to it? Oh, did they share what their salaries were, or didn't anything mention like that? that? Didn't, okay. didn't give that, but it okay. did say it was going to be great coverage. Um, <laughs> now, Stan, chief executive Mike Sneesby, this is another story this week, believes newly signed output deals, local productions, which are now attracting international heavyweights, and emerged nine entertainment and Fairfax media give the streaming business a foothold for further growth. Yeah. Growth. The local subscription video on-demand services' latest numbers were revealed last Wednesday at Fairfax's, etc. They show Stan has added, and it raves on about how good they are, um, and it's wonderful because it's all to do with Channel 9 and um, yeah. and Fairfax linking up. So, again, it's uh, they, those stories are taking over. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. Let's talk to Howard. Fight for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order 
to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Are you into riffs, licks and bands smashing skins with sticks? Are you wanting more rock booming from your box? Well, if so, tune into Rockbox, kicking off weekly, 12am, every single Sunday night. Showcasing a diverse range of pure rock from Australia and OS bands. We're talking sludge rock, raw rock, modern, old, psychedelic rock, stoner, chill, crust, even a bit of punk rock, and whatever else is rock-orientated. With myself, Pete, presenting this magazine-styled radio show, also have segments and interviews. So check it out, Rockbox exclusively on 3CR 855 AM. Okay, Howard Marusi from People for Public Housing is on the line and he's going to give us a week. Howard's going to be giving us a fairly regular update on what's happening in the housing area because, as we know right now, the government's in the process of privatising it and we talked earlier in the program how privatising our energy resources had uh, had proved so so invaluable to the people of Victoria and uh, apparently, according to the industry, privatisation had nothing to do with prices going up. And um, Howard, of course, privatising public housing, I guess, will also have the same result. We'll all be better off. Um, yeah, that's true, if you look at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on who the we is. That's right. <laughs> well, I think the... the, the there's a, there's a construction company, there's a housing company that's taking over, so they'll make Lots some money. Lots of wins there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, they're the important people in mm. in the political scheme of things at the moment. Um, anyway, I'm just going to, before you go on, yep. I'll just get a comment off you, because you might know if you heard or not, and you, I know you've read it anyway and you've spoken to her. We had Kate Shaw on a couple of weeks ago talking about her report into the Kensington estate. And I know at the time she was writing it, she was telling me that she was having some trouble because she was getting pressure to do things, you know, change things. Um, but she points out that though it was though it was commissioned by the department, uh, once she started to research and uh, and do the work as an academic, she found all sorts of barriers by the department trying to prevent her getting the actual facts on the financial situation. Um, and I guess that's probably happening now as well. Uh yeah, to a degree. Um, we do have a fair bit of information, though, and what we know points in the direction that, well, it just confirms what we're saying. You know, mm-hmm. well, the, the information we have now is that, um, at best, uh, there's going to be a massive um, privatisation of public housing, and at worst, could be a complete giveaway. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to recap what's happening with the public housing renewal program, that's only part of the government um, privatisation program at the moment, but the public housing renewal program is actually the um, demolition of public housing on nine uh, estates, and there's a similar proposal in another two. Um, so a lot of that public housing doesn't actually need demolition. Some of it may do. Uh, there's not There's not actually any government... Um, report which actually assesses the condition of the housing and states def- definitively whether any of it needs to be demolished. It's just the um, statement by um, uh, Fo- the Minister Foley that, that it all needs to go. We know for a fact, um, well, we're almost certain just looking at the condition of uh, some of these states and speaking to residents that um, the Darabin estate in uh, Walker Street uh, doesn't need any demolition at all. 
and the same with Noon Street in Clifton Hill. So there's at least two out of those nine that don't need any demolition at all. So we know that. So what's happening with the with the program is the government is actually dem- demolishing all of those and um, and then relocating the tenants. Um, and uh, when it's rebuilding, it's going to be selling off 70% of the land to uh, for private housing. Um, and the other 30% is going to be rebuilt as social housing, which could either be community housing or public housing. Now, there's uh, information which has gone from the government to um, one of the councils, to Yarra councils, to say that most of the rebuilt social housing in the program will be public housing. Now, if you say most is going to be public housing, that that leaves open the possibility that the rest could be uh, community housing or the housing association properties. So, uh, It could be 49%, literally. Could, yeah, it could be. Well, it could be uh, 50% minus one flat. Mm. Right. So, or on the other hand, it could be 50% public housing plus one flat. Um, so, effectively, if you do the numbers, that leaves open um, the privatisation of 45% of uh, the public housing that's there at the moment. So, that's that's a possibility. And that's if you actually believe what the government's saying, because um, some of the public housing activists just say, well, the government's made these promises before and, uh, you know, it's all gone over to the housing associations and, and not been retained as public housing. Because, um, you know, it's quite it's quite well known now. We do know, we've got the figures to say that the government has given over um, a massive amount, tens of thousands of uh, public housing flats, either for management or for ownership um, by the housing associations. Um, so that that's all established fact, and we know that. Um, the government can't hide it. The government can't hide the... Um, the waiting list anymore. Um, so we know the waiting list uh, for public housing uh, is actually uh, something like 82,000 people. Oh, God. Um, and that's the latest figure that I saw, which came from the Victorian Public Tenants Association, was that there's over 40,000 uh, um, flats required to satisfy those 82,000. So they need to build... Um, over 40,000 uh, flats right now, in addition to what they've got, under the public housing renewal program, as I said, they may just give all of them away, uh, which means that there'll be an increase in the waiting list. Um, so, yeah, that, that's all the information we know. That 82,000 people that's um, on the waiting list, that's not including everyone that will be basically um, evicted and displaced from the flats that they're going to be demolishing. Yep, that's right. That's what's there at the moment. Can I just ask the question, the obvious question there that struck me a while ago as you were talking, uh, where are they relocating? Given they've got the waiting list and they can't find room for people in the first place, where are they putting people who are being relocated? (laughs) Well, they've been saving those properties up. So what we've actually... This hasn't actually been announced by the government or the VPTA, the Victorian Public Tenants Association, but the government has been saving properties up you might remember the Homeless Persons Union pointed out that there were thousands of vacant public housing properties a few years ago. We're pretty sure that's why they've been left vacant. They've been left vacant to rehouse people under the public housing renewal program. As well as that, uh, some of our members of actually public housing tenants have actually been relocated to new public housing, which has been built, which the government has done on the quiet. They haven't announced that they're doing it. So they're actually they are actually building some new public housing 
but it looks like it's only for the purpose of rehousing people in under the public housing renewal program. Wow, mm. that's a bit of a bombshell, really, isn't it? Yeah, it there is, is public and housing. No one's talking about it. Yeah, no, I haven't heard that. Uh, and can we assume, or perhaps we can't assume it, but that when the relocation program is over and they've, they've privatised all the others, those new that new public housing will be handed over to private groups again. It's possible, but then it's no more likely than. Um, anything that's currently pro- uh, public housing being handed over mm. because uh, the um, people that have been re- relocated into the new public housing actually have leases with the um, uh, Department of Housing. So it is it is actually public housing. They do have public housing rights. Yeah. That's a, um, that's a lot of houses, though. If you're moving f- people from estates, which have so many flats in them, and finding actual individual houses for all of those people... That seems like a, uh, there must be a huge amount of houses or else some people are going to be pushed out or do they really have to house everybody? Uh, no, they are, they are rehousing people as far as we know. No one's yeah. been made yeah. um, actually homeless. Right. But it's holding it up because they haven't got enough, especially for larger yep. um, properties because um, there's a lot of three-bedroom um, flats yep. uh, which have been demolished. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been told that in West Brunswick, they've put the demolition of the three-bedroom flats on hold because they just haven't got enough three-bedroom flats elsewhere to relocate people to. And obviously this means that communities are being fractured and broken up because people are not going to necessarily be near the other people that they used to live close to. Yep, that's right. Well, in in a lot of cases, in some cases, people are being relocated nearby. Yep. Um, In North Melbourne, we know that uh, some some people or a lot of people have been relocated to from uh, Abbotsford Street, which yeah. has been demolished, mm. to Melrose Street, uh, mm. which is around the block. Mm. Um, but in a lot of cases, yeah, they're, they're being uh, dispersed and uh, the kids are not able to go to the schools they used to go to. Like yep. The um, parents can't take the family to the same hospitals, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the point is... Firstly, in some cases, it's not necessary to demolish. Um, and secondly, uh, in other cases where it may be necessary to demolish, um, it could be done in a staged way so that people aren't, uh, don't have to be moved out um, en masse. Mm. And, and the fact that these properties have been held secretly, um, you know, unoccupied, would that account for the for the eighty two thousand people that are on the waiting list that can't get public housing, or is no, that no? Because it's not there's not enough. There's only a few thousand that we know of, right? Um, and there's only a few thousand involved in the public housing renewal program. There might mm-hmm. be I don't know. I think it's uh, maybe three thousand flats, oh, okay. maybe four thousand um, mm-hmm. been demolished. Well, last heard the waiting list was thirteen years. I think it was. Um, it might have even gone up by now. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, which makes the fact that they're giving away public housing uh, even more serious, doesn't it? I mean, you, yeah, it, it's just going to increase the waiting list. So, Foley, the minister, talks about increasing the number of social housing uh, flats on the demolished estates. So, they're actually increasing the number of social housing flats by 10%, but there's going to be fewer of three-bedroom flats and more one-bedroom flats, and the net effect will be a reduction in the number of social housing flats. And as I said before, um, the whole commitment leaves open the possibility that 
a lot of it's going to be housing association and not public housing anyway, which won't solve the waiting list. Mm. It's becoming... It's becoming the norm now. People people have stopped... I mean, you know, the government long ago stopped ever even calling it public housing. It's now all social or affordable or whatever, or community. But on the weekend, I think it must have been on this station, I heard someone speaking who was clearly would have been on side with the sort of position we'd have. But again, I think it was a she, she kept calling it social housing as well. And people, people are starting to fall for that now and even stop using public housing as a term. Yeah, well, it depends what you're talking about. Like... If you're talking about what the government's proposing, well, the government is proposing social housing, and they won't, you know, give definite commitments about the breakup of the public housing and and uh, community housing. Um, so it's legitimate to talk about it like but, that. But if she was if she was putting it in the context of saying we need more social housing, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah that's well, that yeah, that, that yeah. they shouldn't be falling for that. And you've got to mm. give me their name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't think of it was, but I know it was a program on this station because where else would you hear it? <laughs> Howard. Um, defend and extend Public Housing Australia. Is that, from the sound of it, it's an Australia-wide body? How do you interact with other states around this issue? Uh, mainly by Facebook, actually. Okay. We haven't really done a lot of um, physical, con- you know, like flying in a state yeah. to set up branches. Um, Are you finding that similar issues in other states or that they're quite locally sort of specific? Um, no, there's similar issues because mm. it's it's been a nationwide trend since mm. um, Brian Howe and the Keating government uh, started the process under Labor, um, and the state governments have been doing basically the same thing as what's been happening here in Victoria yeah. uh, for the same period. But it's been apparently worse in New South Wales. Mm. Um, the public housing tenants have lost a lot of their rights, which the public housing tenants still have here, mm. um, and uh, yeah. So we've got there's a there's a um, an organisation in New South Wales, but I'm not. I don't even know exactly how much they do. I think most of the activity is happening here in Victoria. Yeah, and it, how do you um, liaise with other groups that are engaged with the issue of public housing? Okay, well, there's a lot of groups at the moment. Yes. Um, so there's Defend and Extend Public Housing. Yeah. Uh, and there's Public Housing Defence Network. Right. We Defend and Extend is actually a member of Public Housing Defence Network, so there's a lot of liaison there. Um, There's Friends of Public Housing Victoria, which was the original uh, group which was set up from which Defend and Extend came. Mm. Um, Hands Off Public Housing, uh, which is um, a different group altogether, uh, mainly the Unitarian Church um, and uh, Fair Go for Pensioners. Um, And there's a few local groups which have been set up by some public housing activists as well in yep. um, Ascot Vale, uh, in Darabin, and uh, in Clifton Hill. Mm. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of uh, local residence uh, groups, uh, for example, in North Melbourne, in uh, Brighton, uh, and Ascot Vale, which has sprung up, and, and also West Brunswick, um, which was set up to um, try to, you know, not just... Um, protect public housing but also protect amenity of the surrounding areas Um, and they're quite active as well so there's a good coalition that's a yeah that's quite a lot of people yeah um, yeah for the cause yeah there's probably a few thousand people that are are involved to some degree yeah and uh, I know there's a lot to talk about actually Um, so just can I cut to the uh, 
what's happening. Yeah, what's, what's coming up. That's, that's important. Okay, yeah. so yep. today, uh, noon, we've got the monthly um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally at State Parliament. So noon till about one thirty today. Um, and Defend and Extend has also got the um, sleep out outside Parliament in the 10 days leading up to the state election. Uh, that's 10 days, called 10 days in November, if you want to look it up on Facebook. Um, Moreland Council is going to hold a public meeting in association with Public Housing Defence Network on Thursday the 4th of October at Brunswick Town Hall because Moreland Council has um, passed resolutions opposing the Public Housing Renewal Program and they're going to be um, promoting the whole um, issue with banners, with um, flyers, posters, um, both promoting the meeting and also opposing the Public Housing Renewal Program. Um, so they're the, they're the three main things on the agenda at the moment, but there's, there's stuff happening all the time. If people want to stay in touch, you should look at the um, Facebook pages mm. of Public Housing Defence Network and, and Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia or Friends of Public Housing Victoria. Um, apart from those events, and you just tell me when you've got to cut to your next guest. Well, Have we haven't to, because, in fact, we, we can't we can't reach them. Um, so the Mackay Conservation Group will have to come on the program next week when we've got a fifth Wednesday. So, uh, so you can okay, rave, well, you can rave on as long as you like, really. Okay, we've got another question. Well, there's a heap to talk about. So, um, uh, let's see. Last Sunday, or last or recently, there was a, an advertisement in the Age um, announcing the sell-off of um, public of uh, public land mm. in uh, Broadmeadows, Reservoir, Baronia, Parkville, Noble Park. Uh, and I can identify some of the um, properties as being the east-west link um, properties. Mm. Um, so it could actually all be all east-west link properties. Uh, and the government is selling it off. And um, uh, it says that it will be... Part of it will be the um, uh, Victorian government's inclusionary housing pilot, ensuring a minimum of 100 new community housing homes are delivered to the market. Nothing about public housing. Mm. So public land being uh, sold off and uh, no public housing mm. and a minuscule amount of um, community housing. Um, Which is just a, just a sop anyway to... Um, to the cause because it, it sopped to allow them to flog it off to the private sector. Yeah, that's right. Just a little to- tokenism, really. Mm. The Greens actually um, announced that they, their policy was to have a 1,000 public housing units on the Parkville site alone of the East West Link um, properties. So the potential for housing, I don't know, there must be thousands of mm. um, flats that are going to be built on those properties and given the 40,000 uh, uh, waiting list of, of flats for public housing, obviously that's um, mm. prime land which could be retained by the government. The government doesn't have to pay again for it and then they just spend the money uh, building public housing, but they won't. Mm. Um, as well as that, I don't know if people saw the uh, announcement about the gas works site in Collingwood. Um, so the government... That's the old um, uh, site, which was gas and fuel, I think. And yeah, that was, in fact, historic. It's part of history. When, when we were fighting the um, freeway there in the 70s, 
we were promised that by the then state government, the Hamer state government, as public open space to compensate for losing the median strip or losing the public open space on Alexandra Parade, which was effectively a playground at that time till the traffic came through. Um, so that was meant to go to the public years ago, and uh, there you are. Mm. Well, that's interesting, because what they're doing now is that they are uh, they're cleaning it up and then they're selling it off. Um, and uh, the, there is no public housing there. Um, the government actually had an inquiry, uh, and the department... I was told by uh, a member of Protect Fitzroy North that the Department of Housing, of um, their housing turned up and um, said that, no, they don't need any of the land for public housing. So the department was actually given the opportunity to say, yes, we need it, but obviously it's not ministerial mm. policy, so they're not going to say that. Um, now, Steve Jolly actually got up at a public meeting recently. Mm. I'm sure everyone knows who he is, but he's the socialist councillor of the city of Yarra, yeah. Yeah. So they've, they've actually, the socialists, Victorian socialists, which actually include, um, so Steve's the lead candidate, Sue yeah, Bolton's Sue the Bolt, candidate. Yeah. Um, so the Victorian Socialists have actually announced their policy of building 50,000 new public housing flats, uh, I think over five years or something, um, which is great. Yeah. Um, they've also got a policy of uh, a rent freeze for private uh, ten- tenants for three years and then uh, rents to be pegged to the CPI, which is good also. Mm. Um, but at the meeting... Uh, which was at Atherton Gardens. It was the uh, Homes Not Prisons meeting. Um, so Steve mentioned all those, and then he said, um, "Oh, at the Gasworks site, we've actually managed to get uh, a commitment to um, I think it was 2,000 low-cost homes, and isn't that great?" But he didn't say there's no public housing there, mm. you know. And low-cost homes that could be community housing, or it could be. Um, Someone told me that in in some cases the low cost housing is just smaller smaller flats that are built and therefore cost less, mm. um, or it could be what the government's got now. They've got a pilot for shared equity schemes where the government actually um, retains uh, ownership of twenty five percent of the title and allows a first home buyer to just have to um, spend seventy five percent of the of the cost of the price. So it could be any of those. And no public housing. And Steve didn't say, well, you know, we tried to get public housing, we failed, it's bad. Um, so where's he going to build the 50,000 new public homes if we're not able to retain any government mm. land? Well, we've got one I've mentioned many times in this program, but near my, well, right opposite my place, virtually, the other side of the railway line, there's the railway land being redeveloped as private private apartments right next to Jewel Railway Station, 100 100 yards from the tram from the Sydney Road shopping precinct, uh, ideal spot for public housing, and there's not one piece of public housing or even what they call affordable housing in the whole thing. It's totally private, and it's disrupting the whole area. They've they've closed the bike path. They're redirecting pedestrians and cyclists, and it's just a disaster. And I, I wouldn't mind all that if it, if it was going to end up being public housing, but it's, there's not one bit there on what is public land. Yeah. So, look, this actually needs to be taken up by both the Greens, because the Greens have a policy as well of building 40,000 new public housing units. Socialists have got that policy, but there really needs to be a prominent um, campaign um, to actually retain government land for that purpose. 
make mm. sure there's public housing uh, built on there. I, I just can't see whose interest it is in to have people desperate for housing and a waiting list that long and not able to be housed. Sure. Yeah. Sure, you can't see whose interest it's in. <laughs> <laughs> <But> I can. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, but yeah. Um, in speaking of that, the private market and, and this public this issue of public housing, how much conversation is there around the fact that people are more and more and more priced out of the public of the of the private housing market is that part of the conversations that people are having with governments or is it very much focusing just on the public housing for for that particular issue uh well you know the public housing groups are focusing on public housing yeah um personally i look at at both yeah because my interests are you know broader um and uh, but the thing is, if you build more public housing, that's actually going to um, cut the waiting list, and it's also going to allow people to move from private renting to um, a much more affordable option, which yep. will drive down the Prices. because it's a competitive system. Yep. If you take people out of competition, it's actually going to drive the price down in the private sector as well, mm. which is probably the motivation for it not happening mm-hmm. because it's not it wouldn't um, mm-hmm. you know help the private uh, owner, uh, mm. um, investors, mm-hmm. largely. Yeah. But then they've also changed the guidelines in you know in more recent times, a couple of decades, but uh, in terms of who's eligible for public housing. So it's now become very much for the poorest of the poor in many ways, whereas it used to be much broader than that. Um, if you broadened it out so that those who are really under, under economic stress in in the private housing market could get into public housing, then that waiting list would be even longer yeah. and there'd be even greater demand for public housing, I would have thought. Yeah. Well, that's, that should happen. Mm. I think the, um, the income test for public housing um, is about... The, the threshold is about half that for the housing associations. So the, the housing associations can put someone in with twice the income um, of the richest public housing tenant, right, and still call it community housing. Mm. If you actually, if the government stopped um, subsidising and stopped giving away public housing to the housing associations and retain that housing and increase the threshold to what they allow in the for the housing associations, people would move over. They would pay much much less in rent and have better security. Um, and we'd actually be tackling the waiting list a lot better. Mm. And and the thing is, if you want to, if you can, allegedly there is a deficit in terms of uh, the budget for public housing. If you want to uh, balance the books, the best way to do that is to get people in and house, on, on higher incomes, mm. so that over time, after you've satisfied the waiting list for the lower income people, you then open it up to people on higher incomes and therefore bring in more revenue. Mm. But you could also cut all the subsidies that go to the private sector as part of what they consider housing policy, uh, which is, you know, they, the argument is that the private sector is somehow going to solve the problem of the poor not being housed with all the grants and subsidies they get. If, if they were cut out, you could build lots more public housing. Oh, for sure. And the other thing is if you cut out the subsidies to the investors, um, the cost of housing would go down. Mm. And the actual the rents would probably go down as well because you'd knock out a whole lot of people um, uh, from from uh, being landlords mm. uh, and reduce the pressure on people to actually have to pay more rent. 
Um, so apparently in the 70s, um, there was about 70% home ownership uh, rates in Australia, and now it's down to about 53%. Mm. So um, yeah, you would have to say that's largely because of the subsidy to investors, mm. which means that they can afford to um, bid more than um, people who want to own their own home. And it also actually changes the whole culture. You know, we've now got a culture of where people actually are focused on, um, you know, having investments, getting money for investments instead of having a job and relying on that job for their income. Um, mm. So the whole thing snowballs. Yeah. And uh, you've really got to unravel the whole thing. Yes, they seem really intricately entwined because there's the co- what you can charge as a rental price for a property affects what you sell that property for. Yep. And so the whole thing has a knock-on effect. If you house people and then there's less um, competition in the private market and then you can't realistically, you shouldn't be able to sell a house for an amount where you'd have to rent it for you know a huge price to pay yeah, to, to right. pay the mortgage and then the whole bubble bursts. So, yep. yeah. And the question is, you know, how if we want to actually get to a stage where things become reasonable and affordable, that's going to cause a whole lot of financial pain to yeah. these investors. Mm. But you know, unfortunately, that's for them. That's a consequence, and they either they have to bear it. But the best way to do it is to start now. Otherwise, it's going to be more painful. Mm. Um, you know, the, the further they have to fall in their incomes. I feel um, I feel absolutely shocked at the, the terrible thought that investors might lose money. <laughs> well, you know, they're um, they've been they've had prime position in the economy for the last 30, 30 years, so yeah. it's going to be a big shock. Awful, but I think yeah. it's coming because you know, with that figure, fifty three percent of people own their own homes. So many people in housing stress. If if we are a democracy and if we we are properly informed, um, then the the um, the system will change. Yeah. And we will yeah. have reforms, and uh, and I think you can already see that coming in other sectors. Um, as you pointed out before, Andrews came out and said privatisation has failed in, um, in the uh, electricity market. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's a matter of time before they're, they're forced to admit it's the case with housing as well. There's an irony, isn't there, that the, the government that comes out and says it failed with one sector is <laughs> privatising another sector at the same time. Yeah, and they're getting away with it because of the media mainstream mm. media. Um, so that's where, you know, obviously 3CR is essential in terms of media, but also what the what the council, what Moreland Council is doing is actually going to inform people as well because our mainstream media is so poor in terms of taking this issue on in any meaningful way. Mm. We're looking at any way we can to get the message out, which could be a banner, it could be flyers, it could be posters, anything. Um, and, you know, there's people are setting up um, tables and in, um, in shopping centres mm. to get the message out. That's 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 become the media now. We're actually having to go back to um, face you know, to face, just, yeah, just face to face interaction to get the message out. Mm. Mm. The Moreland Council position is getting some publicity in the local rag. I mean, it's limited circulation, I guess, but it's the local area. At least it's getting publicity there because the council's taken a stance and it's being reported. Yeah, yeah, which is good. Yeah, yeah. the councils are doing well on a lot of issues, really, aren't they? They're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they're representing the the people. They're basically representing their constituents because they seem to be listening to what people are saying. 
yep. what I can tell. Yeah. There's an optimistic kind of a note that we should wind up on. Oh, yeah, but it's awful. Awful. You can put an optimistic note on housing. It's a bit risky. Always makes Kevin feel confused. <laughs> but look, Howard, you've done a great job because you've also filled in for us today. Thanks. And I haven't even got through what I was going to say. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, People will have to check out got, the Facebook got, page. Can you say it in one minute? Uh, it's 57. Oh, there, there was that, there's that thing. Uh, you remember we were talking about the Ross Giddens article? You mentioned the Ross Giddens yep, article last yep, week. Yep. Now, he talks about... Um, CPI being roughly the same as rent increases for the last few years, right? Now, does anyone really think that rents have only been going up 2% for the last, I think it's five years? No way. Mm. Right, so there's something wrong with the CPI. Instead of saying there's something wrong with the CPI, Ross has just taken on board. So that's another issue, mm. and possibly another issue for another day, because I've, I've actually done some research about that and there is something seriously wrong with the CPI. Worth looking at because his article was, was pretty ambivalent. I mean, he, the headline was that he supported public housing or, or, or at least said it, there was too much emphasis on private housing, but at the same time he was putting, giving up figures that seemed to counter his own argument. Yeah, he was saying, he was saying that, well, that basically the, the um, article is, says this country is run for homeowners by homeowners, mm. uh, which means that you know, renters are being left out. And then he says, well, you know, your rent, the cost of, of your renting hasn't really gone up, whereas the cost of a home has gone up. Yeah. Mm. So he's contradicting himself. And, and speaking of up, the minute's up, so we're going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> but look, Howard, thanks for your time, and we'll get you on you know, regularly or just when you've got updates for us to come on and uh, update us on all these issues. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Thank thanks you, a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. Howard Morosi there. He's with the housing, he's with uh, People for Public Housing. Rally today at 12, so that's the next event. And um, we're going to well, we will get the Mackay mob next week and talk about that donation, and, yeah. and they can talk about all sorts of not donation, the grant from the government, but, right? And they can also talk to us about climate change issues and Adani because they're leading that campaign as well. Well, that that will be good to hear. Yeah, next we, week. Well, let's hope we get them next week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right.